Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Wonderful morning, everyone. Fantastic. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, team. And what a great privilege to be in Santon today. And I was just working the maths out earlier this week. And with COVID and everything that has happened, it's been three and, nearly three and a half years since I last preached here. I thought it was just last year, but it turns out it's been three and a half years. But it's such a joy to be back. And uh, as always, I bring greetings from Durban North. And uh, I know many of you have got uncles and aunties and cousins and cousins that are not your cousins, but you call them cousins that go to the campus and uh, so bring greetings from everyone there. And uh, just a reminder, when you come down at Christmas time or any other time, make sure you pop in for a service on our Durban North Campus. We have a Saturday service, three Sunday morning services, and are really grateful what God is doing there. In fact, uh, the last weekend of August, so four weekends time, we are actually having a 16-year birthday celebration in church there. Uh, we... We had planned on doing 15, because like you say, 16 is a weird number to do. We planned on 15, but we were shut last year for 15. And so we thought it wouldn't be awesome if we we're all online, playing our you know, streamers. So we thought we'll, we'll wait till 16, but uh, looking forward to that end of August. And I also bring greetings from my beautiful family. And I've got a picture there. And, uh, you know, I look at that and I realize how blessed I am. Blessed is the man who finds an awesomely gorgeous babe for his wife. And, uh, and as you see, I just, I mean, I can't keep my hands off her, so we just keep having more kids. But uh, four kids, our twins on either side there, Jude's our youngest son. He's actually traveling with me this weekend. And then Princess Abigail, who's nearly nine. And uh, I'm grateful for our kids. Many of you, uh, you may or may not know that uh, during 2020, uh, my wife, Yannette, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. In fact, the end of 2019, and uh, she was diagnosed with a very rare and very aggressive cancer. And so for the whole of 2020, she was going through extensive chemo, and uh, she lost all her hair. She was a, a full-on cancer patient. But uh, thank God that he's a, he's a healing God. She's completely healed, completely free of cancer. And just this past week, she went for another scan. She has to go for scans every uh, six months, checkups every three months, and she's clear, and I'm grateful for that. Amen. And if I can just encourage you, be grateful for those God has put in your life, your family. One of my biggest joys in life is, from, is my family. In fact, it is my biggest joy in life. And as the guys mentioned, we've written a book for the love of family and I think it'll be a great investment into your life. There's a, there's a chapter there on uh, marriage called Help. I think I married the wrong person. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought that. I've never thought that. I've never, never, never thought that. But, you know, there's a chapter on raising spiritual champions if you're a parent wanting to know how do we raise kids in an ungodly world. There's another chapter in the book called Don't Wait Until It's Too Late. The growing trend among people is to delay marriage, to wait and wait and wait. Then you get to the point when you realize everyone else is taken and now you're left alone. No, no, seriously. 
Other people get married and they think we'll have kids later and later, only to realize your body doesn't respond the way it would have. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that people do, the biggest mistakes people make, is they sacrifice their family on the altar of success. Don't be so busy pursuing money and things. Those are the blessings of God, but don't sacrifice your family in the process because that's most often the thing that gets sacrificed. Just before we pray, I need to tell you about a preacher who found a shoebox in his cupboard at home, and he opened it, and inside was an egg carton with five eggs in it. And next to the eggs was this big stash of cash, 200 rand notes. He counted them up, and it, it totaled 200,000 rand. And anyway, he asked his wife if he knew anything about this box. And she said to him, yes, dear. She said, after we got married, I decided that after every sermon you preached, if it was a bad sermon, that I would put an egg in the shoebox. And while this old preacher, all of a sudden, his heart was filled with pride. He thought, after all these years of preaching, there's only five eggs in the shoebox. And then he asked his wife, he said, well, what about the 200,000 rand? And she said, no, every time I got to a dozen eggs, I sold them. <laughs> Amen. Come put your hand on your heart. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We're so grateful. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this place. Would you minister to our hearts through your word as you always do? We're so grateful for you today. Bless your people in the house. In Jesus' name. And all God's awesome people said, Amen. Amen. As you take your seats, tell the person next to you, you're so blessed to be sitting next to me. <laughs> I don't know if you believe that to be true. <laughs> well, today we're going to look at one of the most well-known chapters of the Bible. It's also one of the most loved stories from the Bible, and it's the account of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, just before we look through chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, I want to just give you a bit of context as to the life of Daniel. Uh, many of you would know that as a young teenager, Daniel was forcefully taken from his home and put into exile in Babylon. Uh, he was away from his family for the rest of his life. He was away from everything that was familiar to him. And there's actually no indication that Daniel ever saw his family or went home again. And so he was forcefully placed in this pagan, hostile, anti-God environment, very much like the world that you and I live in today. And I think many of you would know that from over the last probably 50 to 60 years, we've seen a massive shift in how the world perceives truth. And uh, we're living in a world that is known as a postmodern world. It's the overriding worldview that we face today. And uh, the goal of postmodernism is simple it's to overthrow truth. And postmodernism says that truth is relative to whatever situation you find yourself in. Now, I want to show you a painting that will come up on the screen now. And uh, this is an example of what they call postmodern art or, or abstract art. Now, it's just one of many examples, and you know, it, I, I could use one of many pictures up there. And I want you to look at that for a moment, stare into that picture, and I want you to ask yourself, what do you see in that picture? What do, what do you think that is? 
Now, I know some of you are saying, well, it doesn't look like anything, but, but just, just imagine, try look deep into it and, and see what you can find there. You know, some of you might look at that and think, wow, you know, I see trees and a forest there. You know, some of you might think, well, I, I, I actually see two guys riding their bikes at the 94.7, or, you know, like me, when I look at that, I see Tottenham lifting the Premier League trophy for the first time in 60 years. That's what I see. But uh, the reality is, is that whatever you decided you saw in that picture, none of you would be wrong. Because in, in postmodern art, you get to interpret what you see, and then that becomes the reality for you. And so this concept we've now taken into our lives and applied to everything in life, from morality to sexuality to gender to identity and and instead of adjusting our lifestyle to God's truth, people are now adjusting their own version of truth to fit their own lifestyle choices. And so we are living in this world where you can believe whatever you want, you can live however you want. Each person gets to decide their own version of truth. So it's no wonder or not a surprise that the world is in the mess that it is today. And so Daniel finds himself in a similar type of environment that is anti-God, anti-Christian, but he makes a decision early on in life not to submit himself to the culture and the values of the environment that he's living in. And there's this wonderful verse in Daniel 1 verse 8. It says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself. You see, Daniel determined to be faithful to keep himself pure, to stay fully committed to the things of God. And because of that decision, well, he was used powerfully by God to change the environment that he was in. And so now we get to the story in chapter 6. Daniel's an old man now. Uh, He's somewhere between 80 to 85 years old. And we pick up in Daniel 6, verse 1. It says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. You know, the amazing thing about Daniel's life, and we see this throughout his life, that Whatever environment he found himself in, Daniel continued to thrive. You know, Daniel didn't just survive the place of his exile and captivity. No matter what came against him, no matter what they said of him or how they persecuted him, Daniel always had the ability to rise to the top. And I think because of that, he's a wonderful example for us as believers, particularly in our place of work. Now, I'm pretty sure that uh, many of you here today work in a, in a place or an environment that is perhaps uh, hostile or, or ungodly or, you know, there's a lot of difficult people you have to deal with. And sometimes we can think, man, you know, if I just did a different job or if I just worked in a different place or, or if I just had a different boss, you know, then maybe I could thrive. Then maybe I could move forward. But, but that's actually not true. Because God can use you wherever you are today. God can promote you. He can move your life forward. However, however, before you clap, we need to have the same spirit that Daniel had. And it says in uh, verse 3, it says, 
Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. In fact, the New King James Bible actually translates it a bit more accurately. It says, because an excellent spirit was in him. You know, the simple reason why Daniel was always promoted was because he did his work with excellence. And excellence, sadly, is one of the biggest things that is lacking in our nation today. And, uh, you know, excellence, as you've no doubt heard Pastor Andre say many times, is simply doing the very best with what you have. That's what excellence is. It's doing the very best with what you have. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you are in your sweet spot at work or not. It doesn't matter whether you have much or whether you have little. If you commit to doing your very best with whatever has been entrusted to you, I guarantee you 100% that over time you will eventually be recognized, you will be rewarded, and the reason is that excellence is such a rare commodity in our world today, that when you serve with excellence, when you work with excellence, you will always stand out from the crowd. Can you say amen to that? A man by the name of Booker T. Washington, who was a, a wonderful American, he once said that excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. You might be doing a common job at the moment. If you can do it in an uncommon way, like Daniel, you will find yourself promoted in the things of God. Then verse 4 says, The other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Now, I don't know if you realize, Daniel was actually a politician. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't Pastor Daniel or Reverend Bishop Daniel, he was a politician. He served the previous government, and he had served the current government, and yet the Bible says he was faithful, he was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. The NIV Bible says that they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. In other words, Daniel didn't use his position dishonestly for personal gain. You know, I've often thought, imagine if, if that could be said of, of our own country. You know, that people didn't work that way. Imagine if it could be said of our local municipalities, that when they did that audit, there was no corruption to be found. Imagine how well our cities and our towns would work, and, and we would always have service delivery. You know, imagine if it could be said of ESCOM that they were completely trustworthy, that when you put that light switch on, you were guaranteed that your lights would come on. You know, imagine if it was said of home affairs and some of our other municipal offices, that when you came out of those offices, you felt better than when you went in, because there was such a spirit of excellence in those places. You know, it's such a small thing, church. It's a small thing, but it makes such a big difference in every area of life. And the Bible says of Daniel that he had an excellent spirit. And that meant that he used his position to serve people rather than to benefit dishonestly through that. You know, I think it's so easy for any of us to go down the road of corruption. 
And the way we go down that road of corruption is when we stop working on the inside of us. You know, most people in life are fixated on working on the outside. And we go to the gym, we want to look big and buff and, you know, awesome, like muscles like I've got and like Pastor Chris has got on the front here. And, you know, the ladies want to get their hair and the nails done and nothing wrong with all those things. But be careful you don't neglect to work on the inside of you because when you don't develop your character, you will always end up giving into corruption. There was a story of a young man who was being interviewed for a position in a small business firm. And uh, he came in neatly dressed. He made a good impression. He had a, you know, a very impressive CV as well. And attached to his CV were three references one was from his pastor, one was from his former youth pastor, and the other one was from another church staff member. And the guy conducting the interview looked over these references, and then a few minutes later, he said to the guy, he said, look, he said, I appreciate these recommendations from your church friends, but what I would really like to hear is from someone who knows you on weekdays. Yeah. Now, there were a few nervous laughs over that side there, I did notice just saying, but, but you know, what we see from Daniel is that Daniel was the same man on Sundays that he was during the week. Can I encourage you, don't be a different person on Sundays to who you are in your workplace in the week. You know, so on Sundays, you're lifting your hands, praising Jesus, but then Mondays, that same man is being lifted to your wife or to your kids or to those around you. You know, don't be someone who in church on a Sunday uses words of faith, and then on Mondays, Tuesdays, you, you, you're swearing, you're cursing at people, all those things. You know, you got your praise Jesus face on on a Sunday. You know that face? Let's be consistent, because I tell you what, it was the consistency of Daniel's character that ended up changing the hearts of these pagan kings, and it also changed the environment in which he found himself in. And if you can go into your place of work, being consistent in your godly character, God will use you, however ungodly that environment may be, to change that environment. Can you say amen to that? Then verse 6 says, So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement that the king should make a law that should be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. So King Darius signed the law. Now, here we see that King Darius falls for, you know, one of the oldest tricks in the book called flattery. And uh, these, these high officers basically trick the king into passing this law that says for the next month, for the next 30 days, anyone who bows to anyone except the king will be guilty of high treason and will be put to death. And uh, basically what they were saying to the king is, oh king, how would you like to be God for a month? And the king's like, hmm, oh, that's the best idea I've heard all day. And, you know, I've I've always thought that I would do a pretty good job of being God. Now, the reason flattery is so effective is because, I'll give you a definition of flattery. It's, it's the art of telling a person 
exactly what he thinks of himself. That's what flattery is. And that's why it's so effective. It's the art of telling a person what, exactly what he thinks of himself because flattery appeals to our pride and to our ego. And let me say this, it's also the reason why social media is so effective. I don't know if you realize this. is because social media is dependent on flattery. And I'll give you an example of how this works. So there you are, you post that perfect selfie. You know that one, the... Another one where the lips are just... The bum's at the right angle. You post that selfie. And, and, and then what happens after that? Well, what happens is that all your followers flatter you. Isn't that right? They like your post. They tell you how beautiful you are, how amazing you are, how awesome you are, how when your bum's at that angle, it's like the glory of God is reflecting. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. But you see, what they are doing is they just telling you what you already think of yourself, which is why you posted that picture in the first place. It's reliant on flattery. Now, a guy called Hank Ketchum, he was the cartoonist who used to draw Dennis the Menace. He said that flattery is like chewing gum. Enjoy it, but don't swallow it. You know, come on, let's be honest. It's wonderful when people acknowledge you for doing something well. Isn't that right? You know, you do something good. You, do, you achieve well. It's wonderful when people acknowledge that. But can we be careful not to be deceived into believing our own press? Not to let that boost our own pride. And I tell you what, even in ministry, this is a difficult thing. And, and I'm pretty sure most of our people on the platform here would testify to this. You know, sometimes people will come to you at the end of the service and say, Pastor, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. Really? Hmm. It, was a, it was a pretty good message, you know, I thought. Oh, Pastor, you're so anointed. You're the man of God. Well, you know, me and the Lord are, you know, we're like this. We're, we're pretty tight, yeah. Oh, Pastor, that, that new family book of yours, it's the best book ever. Well, funny you say that. I, I thought the same thing when I wrote it. And, you know, it, it's so easy to go down that road where we begin to be filled with pride and believe our own press. Can I encourage you just deflect praise, give God the credit. Deflect the praise, give God the credit. It says in verse 10, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So Daniel finds that this new law has been passed. He, he clearly understands these guys are out to get him. He knows that his life is now in danger. So, so what does Daniel do? Well, he just does the same thing he's always done. He goes home. He opens the windows towards Jerusalem. He kneels down on the floor, and he begins to pray to God. I don't know if you've ever wondered how you would respond in such a situation. Let's say government made a law and they said for the next 30 days, no one can pray to God. How would you respond? Maybe you would say, well, you know, it's only 30 days. You know, I've, in fact, I've actually been praying so much recently anyway. You know, it's probably good for me just to have a bit of time off from prayer. 
And, uh, you know, what's that verse, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And, you know, so it might even, might even bring me and the Lord closer together. Or maybe if you were down on your knees there and, 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 and praying and, and then they came and found you, you'd say, no, 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 I'm, uh, I'm looking for my contact lens. I'm, I'm sure it was down here somewhere. But you know what, church, the reality for all of us is that when we face outward pressure, we are always most vulnerable to compromising our values and our faith. And I want to read you something quite profound from a guy called Ray Pritchard uh, in a sermon he preached called How to Tame Lions. He said they knew Daniel would break the law. That is, they knew Daniel would keep on praying as he had always done. Daniel was a victim of his own integrity. He was predictably faithful to God. If he'd been a flaky believer, this evil plot would never have worked. His troubles came not from his weakness, but from his strength. I love that thought that he was predictably faithful to God. You know, I wonder, could that be said of you and I? That we are predictably faithful to God. Or is our faithfulness to God perhaps dependent on the circumstances around us? You know, in many ways, Daniel was like that old Christian martyr, a guy by the name of Polycarp. He lived about 100 years after Jesus. And, and at the age of 86, in 156 AD, he was burned alive for his faith in Christ. But when he was tied to the stake just before they were about to set it to light. He was given one last chance to deny Christ publicly. And he simply responded by saying this, 86 years have I served Jesus. He's never done me any harm. Why should I forsake him now? And that was the same approach that Daniel took. You know, someone once profoundly asked this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Quite a thought that, eh? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, in Daniel's case, there was overwhelming evidence. He was the same person in public as he was in private. And even under the threat of death, Daniel was not going to deny his faith and deny his hope in his God. Verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Well, then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Now, King Darius realizes that he's trapped. He's been conned into making the stupid law, and, and Daniel was his most trusted advisor, his most faithful servant, but he'd made a law and according to the Persian legal system at the time, once a law had been made, it could not be revoked, not even by the king himself. And another aspect of Persian law said that once a man had been sentenced, 
that sentence had to be carried out that same evening. So the king is in a tight spot now. And so the next verse says that in the evening, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. You know, I find it quite interesting here that you've got the king who's living in a palace in luxury, and yet he is anxious and unable to sleep. And as we'll see in a few moments, you've got Daniel who's in a den with lions, and yet he is sleeping peacefully. And I just realized, you know what, in this life, you can have all the good, pleasurable things that life can bring to you, but without God, you've actually got nothing. And even the things you do have, you actually can't enjoy them because there's no peace that will accompany all those things. You are better off being a Christian in a den of lions than you are being a king in a palace with all the luxury that the world can offer you. Amen. Verse 19 says, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? So the king has this, this sleepless night. The Bible says he's in anguish because, well, he knows he's the reason Daniel is in the lion's den. He passed the stupid law in the first place. And, and yet there's something on the inside of him that wants to believe that perhaps, maybe just perhaps Daniel is alive. And so he goes there early in the morning and he calls out and he says, Daniel, was your God able to save you and rescue you? And what the king hears next is something that he would never have forgotten. He hears the voice of Daniel. And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And here we see that God miraculously rescues Daniel from the lion's den. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the details as to exactly how that played out, but it does tell us that God sent an angel to rescue Daniel. Now, we've got a dog at home. Uh, her name is Zoe. And uh, there's a picture of Zoe. And uh, she's a mixed breed of many different dogs. She's also not the brightest dog. You know, as they say, not the sharpest tool in the shed. And uh, Zoe's got, she's quite a big dog. And she's got this very bad habit that when people come visit us, as soon as they come through the gate or they get out their car, she jumps up on them and puts her paws on them. And, you know, with older or smaller people, she'll knock them over or she'll put her muddy paws on you. So, 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 so every time we get visitors and there Zoe comes out, you know, Yannette or I have to say to her, Zoe, in your bed, in your bed. And then she kind of puts her tail in her leg between her legs and you know, all grumpily goes off and sits on her bed and waits for another opportunity. And, and, and I just wondered maybe, 
Maybe that's what the angel did there as those lions were about to jump on Daniel. In your bed. In your bed. Now, I, I don't know if it happened that way. It could have happened. But what I do know is this, is that God is present in our persecution. Amen. The Bible says the angel of the Lord was with Daniel in the lion's den. And, and can I encourage you as a believer today? If you are facing persecution for your faith, or if you are facing trouble because you've stood for what is right and because you've stood for the things of God, can I encourage you that God is with you in the midst of your trouble and persecution today? Amen? And it's interesting here that God didn't keep Daniel out of the lion's den, but God protected Daniel in the midst of the lion's den. And often we so desperately praying and asking God to keep us out of the lion's den, but God wants to show himself to us in the lion's den because I've realized most often our faith is built not by being kept out of the lion's den, but realizing that God is actually with us in the place of our trouble or our persecution. Secondly, we see here that God is faithful to deliver us. Isn't that true? Church, when we stay faithful to him, God will always prove himself faithful to you. When you stand strong on the word of God in the midst of trouble or in the midst of persecution, God will always stand by your side. It's interesting, the Bible says of Daniel that not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. You know, I love that thought that, that there was not even the slightest injury to Daniel. You know, the Bible doesn't say that when he came out, he said, oh, praise God, I've been mauled and chewed by the lions, but at least I'm alive. You know, he didn't come out there and say, oh, hallelujah, they bit off my right arm and my left leg, but at least I've got another arm and another leg, so praise God. No, no, why? Because when God delivers his people, he delivers us completely. Amen. God doesn't partially save us. He doesn't sort of redeem us. He doesn't kind of free us. God delivers us completely because Jesus died for all our sins, not just some of our sins. Now, many liberal theologians have, and skeptics have tried to explain away the miracle that took place in the lion's den. And, you know, people have suggested, well, maybe they were tame lions, you know, or, or maybe the lions were very tired. You know, others have even said, well, maybe they were toothless lions. You know, in other words, the lions couldn't do anything for Daniel. Or, or, or maybe the lions had just been fed, and so that, that's why they left him alone. But how many of you know, none of those things are true. These were wild, fierce, savage lions, and, and the next few verses actually confirm this. Verse 24 says, Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Now, just to give some context there, a guy called Herodotus, he was an ancient historian. He actually wrote that uh, in Persia at the time of Daniel, if a man was sentenced to death, then his wife and children were sentenced along with him so that any legacy of his would be entirely erased. So these men, their wives and their children, they are all thrown to the lions, and that verse goes on to say that the lions leaped on them 
and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. And you know, we read that and we realize it's even further confirmation of how God miraculously rescued Daniel. They were still in midair and these lines had begun to tear them apart. Here's a truth you can write down. It's when we live away from God, we forfeit his divine protection. When we live away from God, we will always forfeit his divine protection. Your life will be ravaged by the enemy. You know, if you think about it, it was the same lines. It was the same lines then, the same set of circumstances. Daniel was miraculously protected and saved. These other men were ravaged and destroyed in a moment. Verse 25 says, Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth and he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So here we see that King Darius, this, this pagan, this godless king, has this revelation, and he realizes that, hang on, this God of Daniel is actually the one true living God. He's the only God. And so he, he sends these letters throughout the Persian Empire, urging everyone to put their faith and their trust in Daniel's God. You see, it was Daniel's devotion to God and to truth that was the catalyst for the king's heart to change. And can I just encourage us as we, as we finish up that, church, we cannot reach an unsaved world if we compromise truth, if we back down on what is right and when things get hard, if we try to present a watered-down version of the gospel to people. We don't reach the world by becoming like the world. We reach the world by standing firm in our faith, even in the midst of persecution, even under the threat of death, because that's what the world needs from Christians. And then the very last verse in chapter 6 says this, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And I love that because despite his exile, despite Daniel being in captivity, Despite Daniel being away from his home for pretty much his entire life, Daniel's life prospered. And yes, a last thought you can write down is that our prosperity is not determined by circumstances, but by our devotion to the Lord. Our prosperity is never determined by our circumstances, but always and only by our devotion to the Lord. You know, and I, I, I think just as we finish, I think many South Africans have, have maybe begun to believe that, that we are unable to prosper in our nation, that we are unable to prosper in this country. We look at the fuel price that has gone up and the cost of living and the corruption and all the other deep-rooted issues we have. But can I just encourage you today that your prosperity is never determined by the circumstances around you it is always and only determined by our devotion to the Lord. Can you say amen to that today? Amen.
We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.